It's time for the Fantasy Points Podcast, brought to you by FantasyPoints.com. Top-level fantasy football and NFL betting analysis from every perspective and angle, from numbers to the film room, with a single goal to help you score more fantasy points. Ladies and gentlemen, you are listening to the Fantasy Points Podcast. I'm your host, Scott Barrett. Uh, Today is a two-part episode. First on, we have the great Dane Brugler of The Athletic, and then followed by my good, close personal friend, Elliot Christ of FTN Fantasy. Uh, With Elliot, we're going to be breaking down the 2021 NFL Draft. We're going to do a little mock. We're going to talk about the best ways to bet the NFL draft. The podcast with Dane Brugler was unfortunately very short. Dane is, you know, one of my idols in this industry. He does phenomenal, phenomenal work inside the podcast. I talk about it uh, like Quentin Tarantino watching a Martin Scorsese film, just sitting back and just like admiring the genius that went into this. That's Dane Brugler put out the beast, the a, a truly beastly 2021 NFL draft guide. That's really the industry standard. It's, it's phenomenal. He's one of the most polished uh, podcast guests uh, I've ever seen. And, you know, hear him on the radio as well, or in ESPN sound clips, things like that was super, super excited to have him on uh, really a little nervous too. And unfortunately uh, we ran into some technical difficulties that I believe were on my end We had a, he only had 30 minutes for me. He told me before the show, he did like 15 uh, radio interviews plus podcasts today alone. Uh, So he was short on time to begin with. And then there was just an immense number of technical difficulties. I'm not sure why. Uh, So he had to repeat what he said multiple times. He would get cut off. Uh, He would go offline. I'd have to, you know, send him a different link and then, Ben behind the scenes had to splice everything together. It was, you know, total amateur hour on my part. Uh, but thank, big thank you to Dane Brugler, uh, you know, for bearing with me and uh, for handling it like a champ. So I only got to ask like four of the 15 questions I was hoping for, but never really stood a realistic chance of uh, <clears throat> asking anyway. But uh, hopefully Ben was able to splice that all together uh, to make it sound good. Uh, did get a few key questions in. And then after that, again, in, in part two, we're going to have Elliot Christ on. Uh, just a quick word from your sponsor, and then we'll get into the things with Dane. And then right after that, part two with, with Elliot Christ. Support for Fantasy Points is brought to you by Manscaped, who is the best in men's below-the-waist grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. Be obsessed over their technology developments to provide you the best tools for your grooming experience. Manscaped is trusted by over 2 million men worldwide. We have an exclusive offer for our listeners, 20% off plus free shipping with the promo code FP2021 at manscaped.com. One more time, that's promo code FP2021. And that's it, guys. Let's, Let's get into the good stuff. Dane, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, let's just get right into this. I know you're strapped for time. So first question, the beast, your draft guide is absolutely insane. 636 players, 267,000 pages, uh, 262,000 words, 13 positions. Uh, it's a surreal work of staggering genius and unimaginable <laughs> amount of man hours must have gone into this. It is my single favorite piece of content that gets, that gets put out each year. I think it's like, to me, like, you know, just, just sitting back. It's like, you know, uh, how, how Scorsese watching um, one of his favorite directors and just like sitting back in awe. It is so, so good. Uh, How long did this take you? When did you get started on this? How many hours per day were you working on this? Uh, first off, I can't thank you enough for the kind words uh, that so much goes into it. And so to hear, um, you know, the, the, the positive feedback, uh, it, it really means a lot. Uh, it, it, it's a year round project for me. Uh, this is something that 
you know, I've already started on next year's uh, draft guide, just, you know, getting these little tidbits from players this year, or when I'm talking to coaches, you know, talking about a player in this, in this class, it's, oh yeah, by the way, you've got uh, you know, a defensive end for next year. You know, how, how's he been? Just so talking to a lot of people uh, throughout the course of the year, the summer for me is basically laying the groundwork for uh, these players. So I'll be, you know, the upcoming senior class, watching film all summer just to get that lay that groundwork a base for which each one of these players are. And then throughout the season, that's when you adjust things. And as the tape comes in uh, and then the draft process starts and usually all the haze in the barn at that part of the calendar year is when, you know, January hits and it's the all-star season. um, And then the combine in a normal year, Uh, this, this year has obviously been very different. And then the pro days. And, you know, at that point, most of the work is done. We know who the players are and it's just about, okay, just figuring out how to to finalize each one of those reports, getting the most accurate information because some of the stuff is tough with character and medicals. That's not stuff that we know. It's stuff that we hear. And I trust my sources. Uh, You know, I've I've been doing this long enough where I know who to trust, who not to trust uh, with people that I talk to in the league and, you know, where the good info comes from and where maybe some, some false info will come from. So, you know, doing this long enough, I thankfully that, that helps. And one thing I'm very proud about with this draft guide is uh, all the verified pro day data is in there. So, you know, without the combine, we don't have that, that data, but all the uh, NFL verified pro day data coming from straight from a team is in the draft guide. So people can check that out. And hopefully people, if you haven't checked out the guide yet, uh, all you need is an athletic subscription. So hopefully, uh, hopefully you do. And I promise you won't be disappointed. Yeah. And really that athletic subscription, like the draft guide pays for itself. Uh, you really see the amount of hard work that, that went into this and, you know, you were, it was Dane Brugler day, the day it came out, I think it had like 600 retweets within the hour. Uh, but yeah, it, it's, it's well worth it. Tremendous work of effort. And, uh, one of my favorite things to read each year, your pro day data. Yeah. Thank you so much for that because it was an absolute mess anywhere you looked and, that's about as official as these times are going to get. Uh, Dane sourcing that straight from NFL teams. That's what I relied on. That, that's when you see me reference numbers on Twitter, my spork score, you know, Dane, I wouldn't have been able to do that with any level of confidence if not for, for Dane's help. Dane, you said you've been doing this long enough. I was, I was talking to uh, Sig Bloom yesterday. He told me you've been doing this since you were 18 years old. Uh, so why don't you tell me how you got your start in this industry and, and what that was like. Well, I, I grew up in Northeast Ohio. Um, and now we're, we're back in Northeast Ohio. But when the Browns came back in 99, that just peaked something with me. You know, it sparked something. Um, and I was fascinated why, okay, Tim Couch, Ricky Williams, Donovan McNabb, all these quarterbacks at the top, just was fascinated by the process. And I dove right in. And, you know, my, my freshman year at Mount Union, uh, it was the first year I ever did a draft guide. And that was in my freshman dorm room. Um, and you know, it just kind of took off from there. Um, I, you know, I, I for me, uh, what really helped me get my foot in the door, uh, was working for the football team at Mount Union. And so Pierre Garcon and I were seniors together. And so when we had scouts come through that year, I'd be the one taking scouts to practice, uh, taking them around the facility, things like that. And, you know, that helped grow my network. Uh, it also helped, really establish my informal scouting education, you know, learning from these guys, asking questions, understanding what to look for at positions, uh, you know, all these things. And, you know, that was 15 years ago now, um, uh, you know, close to it at least. Uh, and so I've been able to, the last, you know, dozen years grow as an evaluator. Cause I think the most important trait for an evaluator is just self-evaluation understanding. Cause you're going to miss that, that's inevitable. Uh, everybody misses, but it's understanding what you're missing on to get better next time and continue to evolve as a scout. And so um, now I've been very, very blessed uh, in this, in this business to, uh, you know, learn under some great people. Uh, You know, CEO Bracado has been, was a big mentor of mine uh, over the years was learning from him, Gil Brandt, same type of thing. Um, A lot of, a lot of scouts are currently, currently scouting in the NFL uh, right now. So, um, I'm very blessed in that respect. And I couldn't do, I couldn't ha- be where I'm at without the, without their help. And that, like I said, that informal scouting education. All right, Dan. Well, let, let's just dive right into the fantasy goodness. I think that's what uh, all of our listeners 
are looking for here. Uh, so first up, you're a Kenneth Gainwell fan. I'm a Ken, Kenneth Gainwell fan, but he's one of the more polarizing rookies in fantasy. Uh, our guest on yesterday wasn't a fan at all. Uh, his player comps, you see they're all over the place. You know, Alvin Kamara Light, poor man's Christian McCaffrey, and then a bunch of scat back only types, Devin Singletary, Theo Riddick. So, so why do you like him, and, and how do you envision his use, usage in the NFL? You think he's scat back only, or do you think he has a little more upside beyond that? He's kind of, you know, scat back plus kind of thing, where, uh, you know, he that, that's what he does best, because you want to use him as a pass catcher. Uh, if he didn't have the pass catching skills, we wouldn't be talking about him as a possible top 100, top 120 pick. You know, we, we his... Ability as just a rusher is good, but is not to the level of what we're talking about in the first three, three and a half rounds. Uh, but when you factor in how naturally he is, when you flex him across the formation, line him up out wide, uh, you know, use him. Uh, it, it could be simple screens. It, it could be, uh, you know, routes down the field, whatever you want to use him, however you want to use him, you can get creative. And so I think. And he's got an interesting backstory uh, of being a, you know, he's a former quarterback in high school and you know, goes to Memphis. And he was, he was the guy that kept Antonio Gibson uh, at wide receiver. Um, and there, there's just a lot to like about what he did in that 2019 season. Opted out in 2020. So we're missing that year of uh, film and development. Uh, but he was so good uh, in, in that 20, 2019 uh, season. And when you look at, some of the other players that that, that offense has uh, produced. Uh, I think it's easy to be optimistic about how he's going to translate. So, um, you know, the the broken tackle rate was high uh, for him. And then this, the pass catching skills, Th- those two things really stand out for me on his film and why at some point in the third round, um, I, I would be, I would be taking the chance on him if I had a need for that type of running back. I don't know that he's necessarily going to give you, uh, you know, 10 plus carries a game, but with his ability uh, as a pass catcher, if I'm looking for that role, uh, that, that's where the value comes in. So I'm going to give him 15 to 20 touches per game. It just might be you know, pretty evenly split between carries and pass targets. Yeah, and for the folks at home, that really points to his fantasy upside. Remember, for fantasy, a target is worth 2.83 times as much as a carry. So you know you really gravitate towards those running backs who are – phenomenal pass catchers and just hope they can get those, like you said, maybe eight to 10 carries to, to bring them up to the fringe RB one high end RB two level. Let's move on to the wide receiver position, because this is a question I've been dying to ask you uh, for a long time. So this wide receiver class profiles to me is a special one, but it's, Mm -hmm. it's also fairly unique. There's a, a number of highly regarded wide receivers with potential red flags Devonta Smith, the weight, the BMI, didn't participate at his pro day. Rondell Moore, the lack of height, Tutu Atwell, you know, even more egregious red flags. There's more serious red flags with the weight and the BMI. So so how is the NFL viewing these prospects? Are these legitimate concerns? Why or why not? For some teams, it, it absolutely is. Um you know, I the, for some teams they look at Devonte Smith and just say, "No way, we're we just don't draft outliers in the first round." And really, that's what Devonte Smith is when you're talking about a, a player that's over six foot and 170 pounds. And you know, Albert uh, Breer tweeted today how he was 166 at his medical weigh-in, which I mean, not really a big surprise. Uh, you know, last spring when scouts weighed him, he was 172. Before the season, he was in the 160s. And then at his pro day, he weighed in, he did weigh in and he was 170 uh, on the dot. It wasn't just him telling people he actually did weigh in for scouts. Um, And this isn't a case where, you know, just, okay, get him to an NFL team. He'll put on 10 pounds. He'll be 180. He just doesn't have the body type for that. That, That's not going to happen. And he's coming from, he's coming from Alabama, not Alabama state. If he could put on those 10 pounds, he would have already. Um, He just doesn't have the body type to do so. And so he is an outlier with uh, you know, just hard to find first round wide receivers over six foot that are 170 or less and have you know done anything to live up to that first round status. It's just it's it's a rare thing. But when you watch the film, it's easy to get excited. So uh, there definitely is a split with some NFL teams about okay, you've got an outlier here. We're we're just we're not going to be interested in that. Where other teams are going to say we can't ignore the tape. He did enough and uh, on this 2020 film. 
And it's not just that. It's, okay, he started at least double-digit games each of the last three years. He plays tougher and more physical than several 225-pound receivers in this class. So it's not like there is a track record of you know major injury here or maybe him being passive or just non-aggressive. That, that's, that's not a case. That's not, a, a, that's not something that is going to follow him to the next level. So does 170 matter? Sure, it matters. You don't just ignore that and say, you know, it, it, it means nothing. But at the same time, I don't think it should necessarily stop you from drafting a player like that, um, you know, at some point in the first round. But where that point is, that's where it's going to be a little bit different for everybody. Um, and and there's, I, I think, you know, the general fan would be very surprised how little consensus there is. And in fact, don't take the, take the word consensus, take the word safe and just get it out of here. It, it has no bearing in NFL draft conversations. Um, you know, a guy like Rondale Moore, uh, I was talking to a scout the other day who, who asked, who asked me flat out, he's like, is there really a chance Rondell Moore is not going to go top 50? And I said, yeah, I think there is. Just when you you look at the size, that's just not going to be for everybody. He's going to fit a specific scheme, a specific role within a scheme. And he said, man, that'd just be, that'd be crazy to me. And so, uh, you know, you talk to another uh, scout who says, you know, that just, he's not going to be for us. We can't draft a 5'7 receiver uh, in a top 50 pick. So, there's just so many split opinions on these wide receivers because they're so different in what they offer, their strengths, how they can impact the team. And just the fact that not every team is looking for that specific type of player. Uh, you know, a guy like Elijah Moore would fit perfectly in a certain scheme. And then another scheme, they kind of already have a guy like that. And, you know, they're not, they're not really interested in adding another one for what he does best. And so don't be surprised when, um, you know, I think we're pretty, you know, the top three receivers are pretty set, but then don't be surprised at all. Four or five, six, seven, those wide receivers off the board. It's anybody's guess. You know, Rashad Bateman, Elijah Moore. Uh, you know, I, I, there, there are some fans for Terrace Marshall, although um, I don't think as many as there are on Twitter. Um, you know, Kadarius Tony's got his own set of red flags, but there's plenty to like there. Uh, so it's just a really fascinating wide receiver class. Once you get past those top three, uh, in late first, into the second round, into the third round. Uh, it's a really fascinating group. Okay, so I have I have two questions I am absolutely dying to ask you as it relates to the wide receiver position because I think this is a great wide receiver class, but also a unique one. Uh, for one thing, there's a number of highly regarded wide receivers with potential red flags. Devonta Smith, the weight, BMI, and participate at his pro day. Rondell Moore, the height, Tutu Atwell. Uh, even skinnier, lower BMI than Devonta Smith. Uh, so my question to you is, how is the NFL viewing these prospects and and are these legitimate concerns? Yeah, there's definitely some concern uh, with some teams. And there's, there's a split opinions on a guy like Devonta Smith. There are some teams that will say, hey, we're just not going to be that, that team that's going to take an outlier in the first round. And he is an outlier. He's six foot, uh, 170 pounds. And as Albert Breer, uh, Breer tweeted this morning, he weighed 166 at his uh, medical uh, evaluation in, in Indianapolis, which shouldn't be a huge surprise. Uh, last spring, scouts uh, measured him at 172. Uh, before the season, he was in the 160s. Uh, he weighed in at his pro day at 170. So, you know, I, just that's his playing weight. And this isn't a case of, okay, he's going to go to the NFL, get in their strength and conditioning program and add 10 pounds and be 180. That's just, it's not going to happen. That's not his body type. Um, he's coming from Alabama, not Alabama state. Uh, if he could add 10 pounds, he would have already. So, uh, and that's, that's just, it is what it is. And so some teams are going to look at that and say, you know, there's just not a track record of six foot 170 pound receivers, uh, taken in the first round to have lived up to that. And so they're, they're going to pass, but other teams are going to focus on the tape, focus on what he does well, um, and focus on, the fact that he started double digit games each of the last three years, the fact that he is tougher and more competitive than a lot of 225 pound receivers uh, out there. So, uh, you know, I, I think it's, it, it is one of those cases where there's going to be split opinion. It's not going to be a consensus. The word consensus should not even be remotely uh, used as much as it is when it comes to draft rankings and, and all that. And I think that a great uh, you know example is wide receivers four through eight in this class. After the first three, it's anybody's guess who's going to be that fourth receiver off the board. You talk to some teams, they'll tell you it's Elijah Moore. Other teams will say Bateman. Uh, other teams, uh, there's some Rondell Moore fans out there around the league. So, you know, there's really no consensus. It all comes down to 
fit and that specific type of uh, receiver. Uh, I mean, look at last year, uh, you know, we thought for sure Justin Jefferson would be the fourth receiver taken. And instead, the Eagles uh, had different plans uh, with what with, with they did. So, uh, you know, it's it's something that uh, with this wide receiver class, there's a lot of talent. It's just the order they're going to come off the board could be very different than what we're thinking. Uh, I was talking to a scout the other day who um, asked me, you know, could could Rondale Moore really not go in the top 50? And, and I, I said, yeah, probably just based off of the feedback I get, uh, you know, five, seven receivers aren't exactly, uh, you know, the most attractive prospects for a lot of teams. And he just he he told me that just crazy to him because of how talented uh, Rondell Moore is. So it, you're just going to get different opinions on these receivers, depending on who you talk to. And, you know, boards are different from around the league at every position. And I, that's uh, that's very much true at wide receiver where there's different types, different styles, different scheme fits. Uh, based off of what each team is looking for in the top uh, top two rounds. Yeah, so maybe that's the answer to my follow-up question here. But you talked about Jalen Rieger being a surprise. And in Philadelphia's post-draft press conference, Harry Roseman basically just came out and said, yeah, we like Jalen Rieger because he gets separation on the outside and the other wide receivers in this class. We weren't sure that they can get separation on the outside. I know Justin Jefferson... 99% of his routes from the slot in his final mm-hmm. season. Uh, the year before that, you know, heavily uh, heavily productive on the outside. And so I think the the wrong analysis there was thinking Justin Jefferson can't separate on the outside. But we've seen NFL teams devalue the slot position. And like I said, this class is a great class for wide receivers. But there's also a lot of slot predominant wide receivers in this class. Waddle, Tony, Elijah, Atwell, Amari, Rondale, Amonra, etc. So, so what do you make of that? Do you think the NFL is going to continue to devalue slot wide receivers this year in this draft class, or do you think the NFL is just going to be in desperate need of some good sticky nickel cornerbacks in a few years? Yeah, it's tough because there's obviously only room for so many of these guys. Um, you know, there's more supply than demand uh, when you talk about slot receivers. And so it comes down to NFL teams needing to decide, okay, what can they offer us besides working out of the slot? You know, can we line them up in uh, outside? Um, you know, Elijah Moore, I think, is a great example of this. Uh, they lined them up everywhere across that formation at Ole Miss uh, in Lane Kiffin's offense, backfield, out wide. Uh, you know, on the wing, however they could be creative with Elijah Moore, they found a way to do it and they force fed him the football, led the FBS and catches per game. Um, And so he responded in a big way. And so does an NFL team look at Elijah Moore as can be that type of guy? Like, I think in a really intriguing fit for him is uh, when you look at Urban Meyer uh, and the Jaguars picking at uh, what, 25, you know, Urban Meyer can't help himself. He wants speed and more speed and more speed on that offense and Elijah Moore, could that be his Percy Harvin, uh, you know, that Paris Campbell uh, to his offense, uh, a guy that you can line up across the formation and just be creative with. Uh, so I think each team really looks at it differently. There, there really is no uh, consensus on, 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 you know, some teams, they subscribe specifically to XYZ and, you know, the, the, the wide receiver alphabet of, you know, their offense. Uh, they're not really will, willing to go outside of that and they want a specific player who is your X and your Y and your Z. Uh, And so not every team is willing to uh, be creative with how they uh, align their personnel and, and what they do in, uh, you know, in their, with their, with their alignment. So, you know, it it is tough when you've got guys like uh, Amari Rogers or uh, you know, say a player like Rondale Moore uh, who I think can do more than just be a slot receiver, but some teams are going to, you know, kind of look at them as that they're a slot. And that's, you know, that that's kind of how, you know, we're not going to really be creative with thinking outside the box about how else they could be used while other teams are the opposite. So, you know, it's, I don't know that that's a great answer because it really just depends on team to team and scheme to scheme. And, you know, I think we've seen more teams be creative in the last five years than the previous, you know, 15 years uh, when it comes to uh, offensive play calling and, trying to get this, you know, look at your players and focus on their strengths and what they can do. Um, And I just hope that continues uh, for a lot of these players who have clear talent. It just, you might have to really focus in and, and invest in their strengths to, to get the most out of them. Okay. Great, great answer. Last question for you. 
who are some potential uh, sleepers, you know, surprises to go on day two of the draft? Could it be your guy, my guy, Jacob Harris, who <laughs> is looking like a 99th percentile athlete at either the wide receiver position or the tight end position? Could it be Mel Kuyper Jr. has 2-2 Atwell, Anthony Schwartz, Dwayne Eskridge, Simi Fajoko, all going in round two of his most recent mock draft. Those guys are all available in round four of a rookie draft. So that's just saying, you know, the fantasy community is totally sleeping on them. And if they go day two, they could just vault up draft boards. So so who are some sleepers you like in this class at the running back, wide receiver, tight end position? Well, Jacob Harris, definitely. Um, you know, I, I, I'm very happy that I put out my sleeper article the day before his uh, pro day. Uh, so that, 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 that was, that was good timing on my part. Um, I, I didn't expect him to test as well as he did, but I thought, you know, he was going to test well based off of uh, how he was training um, from what I was told. So, you know, and Harris is a fascinating, um, you know, just prospect when you think about his background as a soccer player and uh, yeah, he's going to be a 24 year old rookie, but he's very still very young in football years and you know, he, he's getting better and better. And we saw that the last two years on film, eight touchdowns this past year needs to cut down on the drops. But when you're talking about a guy that's six, five, two twenty, runs a four, four Oh in the 40, six, five, one in the three cone. It's just silly. Uh, so he has the athleticism. And I think one thing with Jacob Harris that you love is he can play special teams. He had 10 tackles in his career at UCF. Uh, you know, a, a guy that while you develop him, uh, on offense, or you know, you at least try to develop him. He's going to be able to fill a roster spot, and you're going to justify it because he's going to make plays on, on coverage. So that that's something that I think I don't know that he's going to get top 100, you know, day two. But I think if someone drafted him in the fourth round, would that be shocking? No, it, it shouldn't be. Um, you know, you mentioned a few wide receivers there that are kind of on the cusp and are interesting. And I think Simi Fajoko is one of the more interesting ones, and it's a similar conversation with Jacob Harris, not quite as freaky. Uh, but a guy that's a little bit older, uh, you know, having a religious mission uh, and is, you know, before he went to Stanford, um, a guy that's, you know, good size receiver, really productive uh, this past season for uh, Davis Mills and Stanford um, and a guy that tested off the charts. And so, uh, and also a guy that can play special teams. I think that's a strong selling point with him. Uh, a guy that's, I don't think is going to get top 100, but another guy, if I went fourth round would not be shocked at all because of everything that he can do. And a guy that's a little bit older still has upside because uh, he's younger in football years. And there's still untapped talent there uh, with a guy like that. Anthony Schwartz, I, he's, he's, a, you know, he's, he's tough because he's, he's one of the fastest humans um, in this country, uh, which obviously is appealing for an NFL team. But if the asking price is a second rounder, man, that's tough. That's t- or even a third rounder, that's tough to do uh, because he's, He's a better speed athlete than he is football player. Um, I mean, the best way I can uh, sum it up, he had more rushing touchdowns than he did receiving touchdowns in college over his career. That's a red flag right there. Uh, For a guy with that type of speed, uh, you know, he didn't have a ton of explosive plays. I mean, he did have some with that speed, but it was a lot of feast or famine. Um, And when you when you look at it, uh, only 9.4% of his catches resulted in a 25 plus yard play you expect more uh, out of a guy with that type of speed. So all those things really worry me. Uh, but I understand why if a team does pull the trigger in the top 100 on a guy like Anthony Schwartz, you understand why four, two, five speed. Uh, and it's easy speed. It's not forced. It's he could roll out of, out of bed and probably run a four, three easy without even stretching. So um, he's a player that's, you know, six foot, um, you get him out of that Auburn offense. You have to wonder how much that maybe that Auburn offense held him back a little bit. So all those, you know, I, I can understand why a team would talk themselves into Anthony Schwartz as a top 75 pick. It's a little rich for me, but I would understand it at that point. Boom. Ladies and gentlemen, it is the Fantasy Points podcast. It's also apparently FTN crossover week. We had Brett Whitefield on just a few days ago. Today we have Elliot Christ, longtime personal friend of myself. Uh, also the chief operating officer over at FTN Network. He's joining us today to talk about the NFL draft. We're going to do a little mock draft, and along the way, he's going to tell us some of his favorite bets. Uh, Elliot, we go way, way back in the day. Uh, I'll never forget watching the 2017 NFL draft with you. Is that right, 2017 NFL draft? The Christian McCaffrey year. 
Yeah, I know. Twenty seventeen. They they all merge. The years all merged together at this point. But it was the Christian McCaffrey year, right? Yeah, I, I always I always get my years mixed up. But we just watched an endless amount of tape. Yeah, it was the twenty seventeen draft. Endless amount of tape. You and I and we like batted one thousand that year. Just like eh, don't really love Corey Davis. Don't really love uh, Mike Williams. You know, Leonard Fournette. You know, way overhyped, but. Christian McCaffrey, the next Ladanian Tomlinson, Kareem Hunt, star of the draft. You were all over Alvin Kamara. Uh, and then even like all the way down to the sleepers, you know, we love some absolute sleepers in this class. Buddha Baker, one of our guys. Um, and uh, I think George Kittle, was George Kittle in that class too? Yeah, yeah. That was guy you like George Kittle, well. Brett liked George Kittle. I like George Kittle. Uh, so that was, that was an awesome, super fun draft for us. Uh, and unfortunately you're not really diving too much into rookie tape, but, but you have Brett Whitefields for that. And he joined us recently, like I said, uh, but now you're kind of more in the betting side. Is that right? Yeah. So I still watch some rookie, rookie tape. I, I don't have the time I used to, I do feel like I should almost be smoking hookah while, while we do this just for old time's sake. <laughs> but, um, yeah, the betting the draft, I think it's it's just it's so interesting with the way the markets move and the number of values and the fact that a lot of these books are kind of guessing at lines. Uh, I think there's a lot of a lot of opportunity there. And also, I really appreciate, you know, you talked about us batting a thousand. Uh, there was one guy who the Jets drafted who I was all kinds of excited about, who I think caught three passes or four passes in his career. I like to to leave him out of the the near perfect record that year, but our Darius Stewart was a little rough on us. But the rest of them we got right. Yeah, I, I refuse to acknowledge that as a miss. I'm going to say, you know, if he went to anywhere but your Jets, he would have been a superstar. But you know, the it's it's hard to rub the Jets stink off of someone. Like when I'm good with that. That that reasoning works. That reasoning works, and there's sound logic there. Unfortunately, we don't get to blame Adam Gase on that one, but I'm happy to, you know, he knew Adam Gase was coming. And so he just wanted to get out of the NFL before he did. Coach <laughs> all right. All right. Let's, let's dive into this. Let's do a little mock draft. Uh, 101. Who do you think the Jaguars take? It's, it's, uh, the guy that the Jaguars fans have been sending toasters to, and he's <laughs> been tweeting at the Jaguars saying how excited he is to go there. Trevor Is there Lawrence, any right? edge in betting a thousand dollars to win $5? with Trevor Lawrence. I mean, it's, it's free return, right? I think that's, that's like, there's it's zero risk. It's like the one zero risk bet you can make, uh, but you need to get so much money down for it to be worth it. Um, I mean, I, if, if you put everything in and you just want to put the rest of your bank account bankroll in on Trevor Lawrence, there's, it's a zero risk proposition, but you're going to make like, like you said, like a dollar. <laughs> Yeah, I, I think the one concern is that like Woody Johnson, you know, photoshops a picture of him in a gas mask, uh, and he and he falls one spot. I think that's the only only chance. You have to do it. Have. You would do it like at what time does the draft start? At, uh, seven, right? So you would do it Pass at like your bedtime. Yeah, <laughs> we're gonna have lots of coffee that night, multiple naps. It's it's gonna be rough for me, but we'll we'll get through there. Um, I would say that you probably want to do it the day of the draft, just because, like, God forbid, he gets in like a car crash between now and then, oh, or something God. like that. I'm just, but that's probably what it would take, right? Like an act of God or him doing something illegal. So if you do the bet the day of the draft, the odds won't move, and then you eliminate any like act of God risk. Okay. All right. All right. Well, is is it the same level of certainty there at at 102 with the Jets and Zach Wilson? It's not quite right. I think he's minus five thousand. I think. Trevor Lawrence is minus 10,000, but it's, I mean, it's basically the same. They told Zach Wilson's dad, he's going to be a jet. And that's, um, that's, that's a real, that's a real a-hole move right there. If you start telling (laughs) people's parents we're drafting your kid and then you don't do it. Um, I also think that, you know, Zach Wilson kind of became the pick and then the 49ers traded up right afterwards. Half the Jets staff just coached in San Francisco. They probably called the Jets, said who you're taking. Jets told him, and then they moved right on up to three to draft a guy that we still don't know who it's going to be. Yeah, so I, I think this one's interesting. I, I don't have, you know, maybe amazing sources, but I do have one really good source who's very infrequently, infrequently wrong. When Justin Fields very quickly became the favorite, he told me, no, there's no way. It's still uh, uh, Mac. Uh, Mac Jones. There's no way it's not Mac Jones. And then a few days ago, he told me actually he thinks it's Trey Lance. And and a few NFL teams are are preparing as though it's 
it's Trey Lance. And I think that's what makes the, like the entirety of the mock draft sort of hinges upon that pick where it goes, okay, if it goes Mac Jones, you know, Falcons really could take Trey Lance there where if it's Trey Lance, then I think they're kind of locked into Kyle Pitts. Uh, what, what are you thinking? Do you think there's a, still a really good chance it's Justin Fields? It's, it's funny. I was, I was all ready to talk to you about why I think it's going to be Trey Lance. Um, I was told I've, – I've been talking to a few different people, and the, the, the biggest thing with the 49ers is that they're very tight-lipped. They've done a very good job of not letting this get out. But the one thing I've heard was Trey Lance is the Falcons guy. Like, if they're going to take a quarterback, it's Trey Lance. Yeah. And then it comes out that uh, the Dolphins are trying to trade six, right, which would tell me, okay, the Dolphins traded up to six because they want one of uh, Kyle Pitts, who you may have heard of before. I don't, <laughs> I'm not sure. And, or Jamar Chase, right, because they want that playmaker. And now they're looking to trade out, which tells me the Falcons may have decided on Pitts and the Bengals may have decided on Chase, which would tell that that signal trigger would tell me that Lance is probably the third pick. That's why I would lean Lance. And he you can bet him up to plus 450 right now. Um, so I think he if if you're going to bet on who the pick is, I think Trey Lance has the most value. Yeah. So that's what my, my source is telling me. It goes Lawrence, Zach, Lance, Pitts, Chase. And then at six, it, it starts to get interesting. Uh, probably a trade down there. And it wouldn't surprise me if the Dolphins actually traded that pick at a profit from what they paid to the, the Eagles for it in a similar move down. Um, but yeah, so, so let's, let's rewind the tape. Let's go uh, back to four. Uh, would, would you say Trey Lance is the most likely pick at three? I don't. I, that's the way I'm leaning right now, but I, I really think it could be any of the three guys. But I do think it's going to be Lance ultimately. Okay. So then, who do you think is most likely at four? And then let's just like gush over Kyle Pitts for like five minutes. <laughs> I think it's Kyle Pitts. Um, I think the Falcons. Um, I know Arthur Blank is interested in a quarterback, but he's also said he's not going to interfere. The ownership says that all the time, um, and then they interfere at the end of the day because billionaires no matter how many people they hire to do things like to think they're the smartest person in the world the room right it's gotten a lot of teams into trouble but Pitts, if you Pitts is a, a move where if the falcons think there's they can compete right away um makes all the sense in the world because if you put Pitts, julio jones calvin ridley with matt ryan you have as dynamic of a playmaking group as there is in the nfl and if you have if you can score that kind of points right you can compete right away this Falcons team obviously was not good last year, but they can compete with a lot of people. Um, and also Kyle Pitts in a dome, man, that sounds phenomenal. Um, I think that should be the pick. You know, I, I know you love to give me crap on Twitter when I said no tight end has been a top five pick since uh, 1972. But no tight end has also ever had the prospect profile of, Kyle Pitts, right? That's the other aspect of this kind of thing. And he really is a receiver. Uh, like 99th percentile on everything. His wingspan is absurd. His production is amazing. I, I think it's, I think it is Pitts and I think it should be Pitts. Right. I, I, you, you, when you get into the projections for what a team is going to do rather than what they should do. Uh, yeah. You really have to look at who holds the most sway in the room. Is it, the, the newly hired GM? Is it the newly signed head coach? And then we know ownership at the end of the, end of the day holds the biggest sway. They can just veto or override what the GM or head coach is going to have. And then you have differing incentives there. The GM is going to be thinking more in terms of long-term success, whereas the head coach is probably going to want to get off to a, a good start in year one, not lose the, the locker room, and you have to remember this is an offensive minded head coach where it might be more in his favor for the team to be, uh, you know, a four win team with a crazy offense than an eight and eight team. That's more balanced just because he was hired as an offensive mind. He's also a former tight ends coach. And I, I have to imagine he's just drooling over that offense with Kyle Pitts there. In addition to Julio Jones and Calvin Ridley, because I have no idea how you cover 
that passing attack if you're an opposing defensive coordinator. But, you know, the GM might say, hey, I want my quarterback of the future. I don't know how many years left there is on, on Matt Ryan. We're not going to have another top five pick. Or maybe I could trade down and just like really solidify this roster, get myself another first round pick next year. And, you know, more darts to throw at the board, the better my hit rate's going to look kind of thing. Uh, but I'm with you in that I ultimately think it's Kyle Pitts. We move to 105, Bengals. I'm hearing sort of the same thing where ownership has a guy, the head coach has a guy, and they're not the same guy. So ultimately, it's going to go to the head coach. And, you know, you have to imagine Joe Burrow's, you know, uh, you know, trying to pull the strings behind the scenes saying, you know, get me my guy, Jamar Chase. He's a stud. Uh, who do you think goes there? Um. I'm all over with this this pick. I, a lot of people thought it was Sewell, and then I've heard that now people are thinking, starting to really lean towards Chase. Um, and to your point with the Falcons, I think one of their struggles is going to be, you know, it takes two to tango. Everyone always says trade down, but who's going to pay the right price to come up? And then who's going to pay that price where you get a first-round pick next year? But let's say it's the Patriots. Now you're going to 15. You're no longer getting a blue-chip prospect, right? I think yeah. sometimes people think some of these – perfect deals are at people's fingertips when they're not. So I think that's the challenge. Especially um, this year where, you know, the top five or six, let's say is like such a sweet spot or maybe even beyond that, where really like Kyle Pitts is already in the hall of fame. That's crazy. I don't remember the last time a rookie prospect was in the hall of fame. So like you're jumping at that Jamar chase, you know, maybe the best wide receiver prospect since AJ green and Julio Jones, you know, one of these two, phenomenal offensive linemen and there's all these quarterbacks that everyone wants to take so uh really special draft and like you said yeah you know there there's tiers just like we have tiers in in rookie drafts nfl teams are going to have these tiers where you know the six pick might be worth a lot more than the seven pick um just based on how these tiers fall so i I think that's a great point yeah i mean at the end of the day there's there's the quarterbacks and then there's considered what three blue chip guys right with kyle pitts jamar chase and Penny Sewell, who a lot of people compared to Jonathan Ogden and think he's a Hall of Fame level tackle, right? Who was dominant at 19 years old, took this year off. Uh, it's got you got a frame, a little bit shorter arms than people like. Uh, we're not about to break down arm size on this podcast, I'm guessing. <laughs> but uh, those three guys, like you said, if, if you're not going to get one of them, the pick loses a lot of value. So I think that's a challenge for the Falcons, too. Like if the Lions wanted to come up, I think the Falcons would have interest in that. But when you start talking to the Patriots, you know, you might be looking at adding Mika Parsons instead of Kyle Pitts. And like that drop off is pretty phenomenal. Right. So and then are the Patriots going to have a mid to late first round next year? And then like what's happening? Right. So I think that's the challenge. Um, But I think it'll be Pitts and then I think it'll be Chase. And then I think, like you said, I think the Dolphins traded up to six, really thinking they would get Pitts or Chase. So if they're both gone, I think they're going to try to trade out. If they're forced to stay, I think they should take Sewell. I think they will take a weapon, and I think Devonta Smith is probably the guy. Wow. Why Smith over Waddle? Uh, I've just heard that's who they like more. Um, it's not necessarily what I would do. It's just um, I heard that's why they don't view him as the guy who should be sixth, but they view him as the top weapon on the board if those two guys are gone. Okay. So if it plays out exactly like we have right now, who do the lions take because they have to be another potential trade target for one of these quarterbacks or, Hey, Sewell's on the board. What a, you know, can't believe our luck. Let's just grab him and go. Um, right. So I, they really should take Sewell, right. Cause then as bad as the lions would be, they'd have a top five offensive unit, offensive line unit. And you know, Jared Goff is horrendous under pressure. Um, we know those coaches want to run the ball there. Yep. Uh, it's so funny that they built a coaching staff of guys who probably couldn't complete a basic algebra program and <laughs> built a uh, a uh, analytics department that rivals a lot of people, right? So they would also ha- hold that last blue chip prospect there at seven, and that would be a prime trade down candidate. And frankly, you know, the the Lions aren't going to be competitive for at least a couple years, right? So I think I think things could get weird there. I think um, they're Beyond the quarterbacks, I think a couple guys that teams might trade up for is, you know, Sewell, Slater to potentially jump the Panthers. And I think a guy like J.C. Horn is a, is someone that uh, NFL teams are going to be very high on. 
uh, just in terms of his size, his uh, athleticism, his man-to-man skills, press man, all that kind of stuff is something that typically doesn't fall in the draft. And I think he's the surprise guy that might go in the top 10. And now in this mock, I don't know if we'll get there, but I definitely think that's a possibility. Yeah, so Penny Sewell, 325 pounds. So he can bite off a lot of kneecaps. Big guy. Uh, I'm with you, though. I think this team is in a multi-year tank slash rebuild. And, you know, they certainly more so than Miami trading down would probably be better suited trading down, collecting picks, uh, preparing for that, I don't know, 2023 uh, season. Uh, so, so the Panthers, your pick at 108? My pick at 108 would be Rashawn Slater. Okay. I think they'll, they'll, they'll run the card in if he's there. I think they'll pick Sewell over him, but I think Slater would be the guy. Interesting. So we have three quarterbacks off the board. Denver's at 109. They have a stacked receiving room. Uh, Noah Fant, my guy, Jerry Judy, KJ Hamler in the slot. Cortland Sutton comes back. Tim Patrick's still there. Albert O, tight end two. Uh, all they need is a, a competent quarterback. I don't know if you think that's Drew Locke or not, but I personally do not. Uh, only three quarterbacks off the board. Do they go Justin Fields? Do they go Mac Jones? Do they trade down? What do they do? Um, I think they go Justin Fields here. I think they should go Justin Fields here. Um, you know, this is this is a this is a dream scenario for me if I'm a Denver Bronco fan. Um, I don't have to spend all the capital, but I get a young, talented quarterback to go with all those weapons you just described. And their defense isn't that far away, especially with getting Von Miller back, getting Bradley Chubb back. Um, you know, this this is going to be Vic Fangio's probably last ever head coaching job. I think getting a quarterback that can unlock that top end talent um, makes all the sense in the world here. Okay. Dallas at 10. Can't, can't imagine Jerry Jones's luck. Uh, he can get the best defensive player in this class, whoever you think that is. He could trade down uh, to a team who wants a quarterback. What do you think they do? The one interesting rumor I've heard is that if Mac Jones is there, the Patriots might trade Stephon Gilmore in 15 for 10. Oh and if God. you can do that, I'm the Dallas Cowboys. I, you know, like no trade backs, right? Like that's, that's amazing how, how quickly they can f- uh, fix the defense. If they're not able to pull off a trade back, I really think they're going to take Patrick Sertan. Uh, he's gone in like the last five days across industry mocks to the Cowboys in 72% of mocks. Wow. Good stuff. It's, it's, it's the most mocked player to a team outside of the top two. Like it's all the beat writers have been campaigning for Patrick Sertan all se- all off season apparently it's like the worst kept secret that that's who the Cowboys want. So I really expect Sertan to be the 10th overall pick. Okay. So I I like your idea of that potential trade with new England. I mean, should we just be hammering Dallas over Dallas Super Bowl bets right now? I mean, how do you pass that up when you get Stefan Gilmore? And then if you still wanted to take a cornerback, you know, there's a really good chance JC Horn, Caleb Farley might still be there. Could you imagine if the Cowboys walked away from this draft with Stefan Gilmore and J.C. Horn? They went from, like, the worst cornerbacks in the league to, like, a top 10 pairing, top 5 pairing. Like, that would be pretty absurd. With maybe the best, probably the best wide receiver trio in football. Uh, Dak back and healthy. Yikes. Tony Pollard, you know, a good running back. Um, yeah. uh, his backup, what's his name? Uh, it's similar to my name, um, but I'm blanking on it. Um <laughs> I, listen, Ezekiel I, Elliott, yeah, is that it? I think that's what it is. It's it's okay. it's okay. some fat guy with a beard that is <laughs> is overrated. Um <laughs> overpaid, I think we can all agree on. But yeah, I actually think the Cowboys I mean their offense, Dak Prescott was on pace to throw for the most yards ever. I don't even necessarily think it is arguable that they have the best trio in the NFL. Now, if the Falcons drafted Pitts and you wanted to include Pitts there, then I think you could have a conversation, but CD Lamb is, I don't know if there's a more talented slot receiver in the NFL than him. Uh, calm down, Buffalo. I know you're all excited <laughs> about Cole Beasley, but I think CD Lamb's better than Cole Beasley. And Amari Cooper and Michael Gallup. Yeah, hot take alert. Uh, but I, I definitely think the Cowboys are in play for that kind of run. Everyone's counterpoint is the Cowboys don't win, right? Which is 
to me, isn't really relevant. Uh, the Dak Prescott with those weapons and actually getting corners that allow their defense to compete, I think would make them an incredibly strong team. Love it. Absolutely. I am a Giants fan, as you know, big time Cowboys hater. Not so much these days, just Jerry Jones won me over. I just like love the guy. I think he's hilarious. I think he's fascinating. His life story is like ridiculous. He, you know, was like a super undersized offensive lineman on a national championship winning team. He was captain. Uh, He just wanted to uh, own a football team. So he went into like wildcat uh, oil drilling and then he'd like after years of, you know, being in debt up to his eyeballs, like finally struck it rich, bought the Dallas Cowboys. Everyone hated him. He also married like Miss Arkansas uh, when he was like 19 years old, just like an, just like, a, I don't know. He's just hilarious to me, just like a fascinating human being. So like, and he still has his tentacles all over the Dallas drafts. And last year's draft was awesome. We both love CeeDee Lamb. He fell into the laps. I could definitely see, you know, Dallas walking away with, Last year, easily the best draft class. Maybe they could do that too if they somehow work this this Stephon Gilmore trade out. Uh, next up, the only thing you left out with Jerry Jones is the fact that you know he's got a guy that cleans his glasses as well. Like he's just he's a living legend. Like <laughs> yeah. I don't know who wouldn't want to live Jerry Jones' life right now if you gave them an opportunity to. Yeah, I mean, I have like fifty years left. He has like six, and like I mean, those those six years might be better than my <laughs> remaining fifty. Which is another reason why. They're probably going to go all in this year, right? If they can. <laughs> I mean, that's a good he, point. He, he doesn't, Jerry Jones wants another Super Bowl before he dies. He doesn't exactly have a ton of time to try to rebuild and start everything over. So right. a move like that, getting a veteran starter, that's, that is, that could be huge for them. Love it. All right. Well, what about my Giants at 11? Who do they take? So it's interesting. They're, they're the favorites for Devonta Smith across a lot of books. So sorry. Here's why that makes sense to me is because get, we watched get so many Gettleman pressers together, and he's just hilarious to watch. Like he, he sounds like a Boston Robert De Niro. That Christian McCaffrey pick, he just put his feet up on the desk, leaned back into his uh, his armchair, and like swirled a glass of whiskey, held a cigar in his hand, and was like, "Feel great about the pick. Feel great. This guy's." a star he's a uh, red flags i don't see a single one wait nope inside runner best inside runner i've ever watched go screw yourself just like a hilarious guy we know he's so old school minded i think it's just the exact same thing with devonta smith where it's like hey he had 250 yards in the first half in the national championship first wide receiver to win the heisman in 30 years this guy's special he could play football we draft football players his weight is wait, he won the Heisman. Didn't you hear me? And it's just like, that makes so much sense to me as a Gettleman pick. What might not make sense is, you know, they just, they just gave Kenny Galladay lots of money. They got Darius Slayton, who's, you know, uh, an ascending talent, Sterling Shepard in the slot. What do you think? So I think Daniel Jones is not that good. Uh, in order for him to, to get you to where you want to go, you should surround him with as many weapons as possible, high-end guys that can elevate his play, because I think then you can be very competitive. The Giants' defense is very solid, right? Yeah. They, If you said that you give me Slayton as a wider receiver four with Kenny Galladay, uh, Devonta Smith, Sterling Shepard, Evan Ingram, and Saquon Barkley, like that's as loaded as you can ask for for a young quarterback. Plus, if Daniel Jones can't succeed with that team and that offense – it probably you you now know you need to go get another quarterback, and when you do, he's set up for success. So I I love building on strengths. I love when teams do that, especially when that strength wins football games, which is your ability to throw the football right. So I would I would be all in on them getting Smith or Waddle. But I I agree. Like everything you just said is such a Dave Gettleman thing to do to put his feet on the desk and just say I love Devonta Smith. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. Um... Next up, NFC East still. Back-to-back-to-back NFC East picks. Eagles at 12. I'm hearing a lot of Jalen Waddle. Is that that what you think happens? I talked to an Eagles guy the other day, and he said uh, he thinks it'll be Waddle or Horn. Uh, So the one one interesting thing here, too, in terms of back-to-back-to-back NFC East picks 
is Washington is a team that could hypothetically try to come up for a falling quarterback, but they're not going to be able to from 10 to 12 because we know the Giants don't trade back, right? Dave Gettleman doesn't believe in that. But the Cowboys and the Eagles probably have no interest in giving Washington their quarterback of the future. So they might have to pay a real price or hope that I mean, these Eagles other teams could draft the quarterback of their future, hypothetically. Yep. Yeah, I mean, the, the head coach came out today and said that Jalen Hurts isn't the starter and then came back and said that no one's a starter right now. We haven't practiced. We haven't and then talked about how much scissors. he – Yes. Uh, what a what a hell of a <laughs> hell of a few <laughs> moments for the Eagles. Oh, my God. I hope that's how they pick. I hope one guy wants Horn and one guy wants Waddle, and they're just doing rock, paper, scissor. And he's, he doesn't determine – who the pick is based on who wins rock, paper, scissor, but by who the most competitive guy is doing rock, paper, scissor. Yeah. Um, is it, do you, what do you want there? Do you just want a guy screaming out like scissor and just like really making the scissor motion <laughs> yeah, with no. his hands? I have no idea. I, I did see a hilarious tweet today that when Alabama had those four receivers and only they were oh. running like 11 personnel, they would just do rock, paper, scissor with each other to mm-hmm. see who came off the field. So um, someone was like, well, I guess he's not drafting. Um, Alabama receivers because they're willing to do rock paper scissor for for field time. But uh, for this mock, I'm I'm comfortable going. I would I, I lean J C Horn here. I think they're going to end up with J C Horn. Yeah, my my take on the rock paper scissor thing was I honestly think it's smart because all right, it's I don't think that's like a really accurate measure of a player's competitive competitiveness, but it does test their tolerance for clown coaching, and that's going to be important in Philadelphia. <laughs> it's just clown. I love coaching. that. Just yes. absolute clown coaching. Um, yes. All right. So I don't know that we need to go in deep. Uh, let's let's talk real quick about who you think the most likely teams to trade up for a quarterback are, and who's most likely to to land that. Um, we talked about Denver being you know quarterback needy. Carolina still is, in my opinion. I don't know where you stand on Sam Darnold. Patriots make a lot of sense. The Bears, I mean, are they really rolling into this season with Andy Dalton? And then Washington, you mentioned as well. I heard the Bears love Mac Jones, and that's the quarterback that they would like to trade up for. And that one makes sense in terms of you could make an argument he's the most pro-ready after the first two. And Ryan Pace probably feels like he's got to win this year. Otherwise, um, he's fired, right? And whenever you get desperate GMs, you have desperate moves. And who cares if you're mortgaging the future if you're not going to be there? So I think the Bears coming up makes some sense. I think Washington's going to struggle for those particular reasons where if you lose the 10 through 12 spot to trade up for, uh, I think that's tough. And obviously the Patriots, I think, are a really strong strong option to, to come up and get a quarterback as well. If you just If you look at the way the Patriots spent money this offseason for the first time ever – it screams we think we're about to have a quarterback on a rookie contract. Makes a lot of sense. Uh, what about how many running backs do you think get drafted this year? Isn't there a prop out there like 0.5 and you can bet that? Because I would I would want to hammer the over. In terms of the, in the first round? Yeah. Yeah, so that's minus 225 right now. Najee Harris is – his prop has moved anywhere from 28.5 to 30.5. It keeps fluctuating. Um, the Steelers odds have dropped from plus 225 to plus 160 to draft a running back there's a lot of uh, there's starting to be a lot of smoke around the Steelers taking Najee Harris uh, who I do think ultimately does end up going round one and then Javante Williams and Travis Etienne I think both have a shot to go at the back half of the first round yeah so I'm hearing most teams have Etienne RB1 but it really seems clear uh, the Steelers are in love with Najee Harris. So, so that all makes a lot of sense to me. I also heard Tampa Bay really likes Javante. I, it wouldn't shock me if there were three running backs drafted, though, of course, like analytics Twitter is going to hold their noses and guffaw and laugh. But I, I think that's there's there's a I feel like it's a lock for one running back, very likely for two and possibly even three. And then you don't see another running back drafted for another like two rounds. Yeah, I mean, the, in, you talk about tiers in this class, right? It's Harris, Etienne, and Williams. And then it's probably like, no, thank you. And I know people are going to talk about Gainwell and Carter and Hubbard and Trey Sermon, but like these aren't really guys that NFL teams are going to get excited about. And we can 
yell and stomp our feet that running backs don't matter at all. But there's a lot of old school guys in the NFL and a lot of them care. And there are a few teams. You mentioned the Bucs. I think that's a great call. I think they're a sleeper team to take a running back. Their team is so strong that they can make the case for let's let's not pay let's pay a premium for a non-premium position just because we think we have a bunch of dudes and you know another weapon is fantastic and we're going for a Super Bowl run so who cares that it's a less valuable position when we have great starters basically across the board I mean the other argument there is is like also who are the the fastest who are the what's the position to produce right away in the NFL where tight ends take two years wide receiver takes at least one year maybe more running backs just like right out of their gates that's who they are and it's they sort of like descend from there in terms of their level of production so you get an immediate contributor there uh, you don't pay them a lot you, you'll get the extra year uh, of eligibility uh, in terms of their rookie contract um, so yeah don't pay running backs a, a big second contract but like it might even make more sense to take a running back in round one or round two than to give some aging running back a, a monster contract after his rookie contract ends. Yeah, I would rather take a running back in the first round than give a running back big money when they're 26 years old, having played in the NFL for four years. Right, right. Good stuff all around. Uh, who are the wide receivers you think go in round one? I think, well, there's definitely three locks, right? Yeah. It's uh, Chase, Smith, we're going, uh, Smith could have weighed 112 pounds today, and he's going in round one. <laughs> and um, and Jalen Waddle. I think Bateman is a near lock. Why? Um, I've, I mean, I've heard that he's wide receiver one on certain teams' boards, which blows my wow. mind. Um, how you have him over Chase is, like, I think <laughs> if, if he's your wide receiver one, it's a great sign that it's time to fire someone in your scouting department. Yeah, does that hold true for time to fire someone from your staff at FTN? Because Brett has Rashad Bateman, wide receiver one. Does he really? Yeah. Well, now I feel dumb because I'm not firing Brett because Brett's a beast. So now, <laughs> now I'm a little worried. I love Bateman, but I just I can't. I don't know how you put him over Chase. Um, I think he's going to go in round one, and then there's a lot of guys that are fringe round one prospects in terms of just even if you look at their props, like Terrace Marshall is 27 and a half, Elijah Moore is 28 and a half, Rondell Moore is 32 and a half. So uh, ultimately, I think five wide receivers will go because it's also it's just a position that teams are going to want to take in today's NFL. And there's a lot of wide receiver needy teams in the second half of the draft. So I think that's true. But I also think we could look at what we saw last year in a stack class where, oh, I mean, like these guys are great. But if T Higgins is going to be around two pick, Chase Claypool's going to be around two pick, we can, you know, wait, we can hold up, we can draft a different position and then go wide receiver in round two, round three. Maybe you also left out Kadarius Tony, who Jim Nagy tweeted out a few days ago, is a round one lock. And when Jim Nagy says a guy's a round one lock, he's a he's a round one lock. Yeah, when Jim Nagy says other things, though, sometimes we need to ignore them. Um, like culture is what wins championships uh, in the NFL. Come on, good players do, but that's a different conversation. Um, yeah, Tony is another guy that could absolutely go in round one. I actually think what your your point is very valid in terms of the deeper position. Sometimes it falls, you know, guys start to fall because uh, teams are willing to um, pass on a guy there. Cause I think the guy in round two was not that far of a drop off. Right. And historically speaking, since 2016, second round wide receivers have far out produced first round wide receivers in the NFL. I think one thing that's really interesting for me is um, that the class is really strong at slot, right? So it might help a guy like Terrace Marshall, or help a guy like Rashad Bateman move up a little bit where it might hurt a guy like Elijah Moore or hurt a guy like Rondell Moore where the team say, well, there's a lot more slot talent in this draft and less so on the outside, which helps Bateman and Marshall. All right. Well, Elliot, this has been a lot of fun. Last question for you. Uh, what are just some of your favorite bets that we haven't touched on so far? What are, what are some of the bets that you personally have uh, a lot of money invested in? Um, I think J.C. Horn, first defender, drafted at plus 1,000 is extremely oh, interesting. I think the Tennessee Titans drafting a uh, defensive line with their first pick when their three most drafted players uh, in mock drafts in the last 90 days are all defensive linemen. Um, and that's including after they signed Bud Dupree. They did lose to Davion Clowney. They were 31st in pressure rate last year, bottom four in sack rate, 
team can't get pressure on the quarterback. And you look at guys like um, Gregory Russo, uh, Jalen Phillips, and um, Aziz Ojolari, they're all, all their numbers are right around the Titans pick at 22. So I think that one's very intriguing in terms of long shots. Um, uh, Jets first pick offensive line. This team has Makai Becton and nothing else at 20 or second pick, excuse me, not first pick. They're not taking Penny Sewell second. Um, I think that's really intriguing in terms of not long shot bets. I think Mika Parsons is not going top 15. I think he's going to fall. That's one thing I've heard a lot is that his off field stuff is, is bad. Um, I think um, uh, Bengals pick wide receiver right now at plus 170 on MGM is really attractive with everything I've heard around chase. Um, I don't, I don't want to leave any out. I've got 57 picks on the draft. Oh, so there's, there's, there's a lot of them. Um, but I, those are a couple of long shots. I really like JC Horn under 13 and a half. Um, I don't want to leave anything out, but those are definitely a few of my favorites. Um, oh, a couple, a couple other ones, uh, Asante Samuel jr. Under 41 and a half. I think he's got a real shot to go in round one, um, back end of round one. I think that's a really good value bet. And, um, uh, Tevin Jenkins under 26 and a half. I've heard like 25 is his floor. Uh, I don't think he gave up a sack last year at Oklahoma State. Teams view him as both a tackle and guard prospect. So uh, those are those are a few props, few long shots that I really, really like. All right. Well, I, I love it. I appreciate you for coming on. Uh, and uh, if anyone wants to read the other 87,000 props that you recommended and are probably going to hit on knowing you, where can they find your work? Uh, all my all my draft work right now can be found on ftmbets.com. I'm also tweeting out all this kind of stuff all the time. You can follow me on Twitter at Elliot Christ, E-L-I-O-T-C-R-I-S-T. Um, not the easiest name to spell, but it's. You can, I'm pretty sure you guys can figure it out. I'm constantly tweeting about you know the draft. Scott's constantly telling me I need to you know go to bed later. It's it's a it's a fun experience. Um, but yeah, Scott, this is a blast, man. I appreciate you having me. Thanks for the opportunity. Yeah. Uh, no problem whatsoever. Are you doing anything for the NFL draft? If, if we did a live show, would you want to come on and get drunk with me and Graham? <laughs> I'm doing something with FTN the first hour, but I could potentially come on after that and drink with you guys. That sounds awesome. Can't wait. Thanks for tuning in to this edition of the Fantasy Points Podcast. Remember to subscribe, rate, and review on your favorite platform. And come join the roster at FantasyPoints.com. Fantasy Points.